0: You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. This is 80's Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. He stands convicted of 52 counts of aggravated assault.
1: 23 counts of armed robbery and 37 counts of murder in the first degree. Prisoner have any final words? I do, yeah. and it's welcome to 80s revisited Halloween horror hootenanny of terror finale for our West Craven celebration, question mark. More of a celebration of his worst films, am I right? (laughs) Anyway, everybody, it's me, your host, Trey Harris, back here with the shocking finale. As always, the uh, uh, DC to my AC, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And we're going to talk about Wes Craven's final film of the 1980s, 1989's Shocker. There's a lot to talk about here when it gets to the actual movie, so let's get all the the who, what, when, where out of the way. Shocker came out, everybody, October 27th, 1989. So big points for coming out in October, right before Halloween. Uh, IMDb gives it a 5.5. Rotten Tomatoes critics, 27%. Audience, however, a little bit more favorable, 31%. $5 million estimated budget. Opened at 4.5, which is good. Would go on to domestically grow 16.5. So it did make its money back, strangely enough. Uh, directed, of course, and written, as we're used to on these last few episodes, by the late, great, question mark, Wes Craven. <laughs> More on that in a little bit. But of course, if you haven't been paying attention, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, People Under the Stairs, every movie we've done for the past three weeks. Uh, four weeks, actually, I believe. And the cinematography in this one was done by Jacques Heitken. Uh, He also did the, I think it's a Roger Corman film, Galaxy of Terror, but also Nightmare on Elm Street 1 and 2. So... He actually does some really good uh, cinematography, I'd say. Not so much consistently in this film, but it is lit well. It's lit well, but it's not quite as dynamic or moody as Nightmare 1 or 2 for sure. And starring one of the worst actors I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) goddamn life. Peter Berg as Jonathan. He was also in Fire in the Sky, Smoking Aces, and one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies, Collateral. Now, Peter Berg's gone on to be a director. He directed Battleship. I know, right? What an amazing guy, and also a producer. So he did find much more success behind the camera. But as an act, this dude is terrible. This is one like this is a performance that should have been in Garbage Pail Kids, a movie. It's so bad. <laughs> this main character is just ugh. I, I hated. I wanted Mitch Pileggi to kill him so bad. Terrible, terrible actor. Oh, God, I can't say it enough. Uh, Camille Cooper was Allison, the love interest, who, spoiler alert, is shockingly and in one of the most brutal body discoveries in cinema history, in my opinion, as Allison. She was in The Lawnmower Man, too. Uh, Meet the Applegates, about the neighbors who are roaches. And I had to bring this up because I think this is awesome because she was in the Sega CD game, Double Switch, which also starred everybody's favorite extreme Christian, Kirk Cameron. I think it came out on the Switch, too, because a lot of the old uh, Sega CD uh, FMV games uh, have come to the Switch. Uh, I do not recommend getting it. Get Night Trap instead. Uh, Michael Murphy is Lieutenant Parker, uh, Jonathan's dad. Uh, Also, he is the worst father in cinema history who does not beat or molest his child. Mm -hmm. Just his verbal and his actions toward his quote-unquote son, more on that when we get to the story, are despondent. He treats his kid like now. Of course, if your kid was acting as bad as Peter Berg does, honestly, it's justifiable. It's justifiable. Uh, nah, I better not say that because <laughs> that sound couldn't come back to me. Uh, but he's he's an he's an absolute asshole to us, kid. He's a terrible dad until the end, where everything's so cool. Uh, but he was also in Nashville. He was uh, Angel's or Archangel, uh, Archangel's dad in X Men Three. Uh, He was in Magnolia, and also he was the mayor in Batman Returns, one of the best Christmas movies ever made. Richard Brooks. Now, I like Richard Brooks. He is awesome. Uh, He was Rhino in this one. He's the one that goes to help knock out the power at the end for uh, Jonathan. Uh, He was the villain in The Crow 2. That's not one of his high points, but he was good in it. He's got a good voice. He was also in The Hidden with uh, Kyle MacLachlan, one of uh, my favorite 80s science fiction movies. And he was Jubal Early in the last episode of Firefly. So uh he's done some good work. I really like him as an actor. I wish he would get to do more. He's a good he's got a good villainous presence about him, although he's a good guy in this one. Uh and then Ted Raimi, going to move into the smaller roles as Pac-Man, of course, uh brother of Sam Raimi in every Sam Raimi movie, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. And when I think of Ted Raimi, I actually remember him from his one line in the John Claude Van Damme classic Hard Target where uh I think it's the old military vet that's uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's friend is getting killed. And he's like on Bourbon Street, like, help me, help me. And he's like, get off of me, man. I got no change. So every time I see Ted Raimi, I think of that horrible line delivery. Although I say it's horrible. It's memorable. Put it that way. That memorable line delivery from Hard Target. And we got some uh, pretty – actually, before I get to the cameos, let me uh, get to uh, Mitch Pileggi, who I mentioned earlier, as uh, the villain Horace – I don't forgot his last – or Pinker, Horace Pinker. He is awesome. He is the only reason this movie is watchable. When Mitch Pelleggi is on the screen, this movie is awesome because he is. Now, this is before Robin Hood, uh, Prince of Thieves, where Alan Rickman defined scenery chewing in a film. (laughs) Pelleggi is eating up every bit of scenery. Every line has incredible, just over the top delivery. He is awesome in this movie. He is the one reason to watch this movie. Hundred percent. But if you recognize him, of course, he's Skinner from the X-Files. He was also in Basic Instinct. But one of my favorite things that he ever did was he was the host slash narrator of the Fox series Magic, Secrets Revealed with the mass magician. Right. So he'd always be walking around with his leather coat at night by this, here in this abandoned warehouse, the mass <laughs> magician is going to break the code and reveal to us how you call, cut a woman in half. And then he'd narrate the trick like, oh, look, the mass magician. Here he comes looking mysterious. Here comes one of his assistants, very beautiful and sexy. I hope she's not distracting us. It's you know not, he's reading the lines. He's not writing it. The writing was terrible, but those shows as a kid were great, and he was part of that. And you know I love it. Mitch Pileggi's another great actor. Uh, he is the best actor in this movie by far, by far. Uh, him and uh, Richard Brooks is a is a close second. Uh, but in cameo slash very minute roles, the newscaster in this film is none other then hot adult contemporary new age singer, John Tesh. <laughs> uh, and then uh, in a cameo, both of Craven's kids appear in this, or two of his, I'm not sure how many kids he has, but two of them do. Uh, after they, elect uh, spoiler alert, shock uh, or execute the electric chair, uh, Nish Pilegi, she comes in to like take his pulse and he shocks her, but also secretly possesses her. That's Wes Craven's daughter, Jessica Craven. She was also a nurse in New Nightmare. And that's about it. Uh, Brent Spiner has a brief cameo as a talk show guest. Of course, uh, Data from, or Data, of course. Oh, he's the reason people say Data more often than Data because of his role in The Next Generation, Star Trek, The Next Generation, also uh, Independence Day. And then Heather Lagenkamp, yes, Nancy from Night on Elm Street has a cameo as a victim in this film. And did I miss anybody else? Nope, that's kind of all the cameos. So now let's talk about this thing. Now, the, here's here's what I've learned this month. You know, this this was a this is a bittersweet Halloween horror. You know, it's our return. It's we missed we missed it last year, but we're back this year, doing all the Wes Craven movies we haven't done, plus you know, rounding out the Nightmare series with the the appetizer, so to speak, with a Nightmare Five. And I don't think Wes Craven is really that good of a director. I think he's pretty. I'll be honest. Wes Craven's overrated as a director, uh, and I say that. I said he's a good director. He's not, he is not John Carpenter. He's not a William Friedkin. Uh, he's not, you know, a Ridley Scott. He's old Ridley Scott. Uh, he had some great ideas. He, he got lightning in a bottle twice, with, I'd say, with Scream, which defined, you know, well, first with Nightmare, which created the greatest slasher villain of all time. I love Michael. I love Jason. But Freddie's the only one you want to actually hang out with you know if i want to, if one of them has to kill me i want it to be freddy jason and michael are going to terrify me freddy i'm going to be scared but hey you know what something really fucking cool is going to happen even though i'm being killed and it's robert england he's a you know he oozes charisma you know he's a talking slasher so you know craven has created created one of the greatest franchises and most consistent franchises of all time with nightmare on elm street uh and you know, one of the greatest villains of all time with Freddy Krueger and then in the last breath of the 90s with Scream 1 breathed brand new life into, uh, actually no, it was 96, Mm -hmm. 96, 97, no, uh, mid 90s, excuse me, revitalized the genre he helped popularize with Scream. Here's the thing though, if you look back at Shock, this movie directed by Wes Craven, written by Wes Craven, Deadly Blessing, if I remember correctly, written by Wes Craven. He did script work on Deadly Friend too, if I remember correctly. You know, we had other people, you know, based on a short story. Actually, not with Deadly Friend. Sorry, Uh, but his, you know, he's he suffers, you know, not all the time because again, Nightmare on Elm Street is amazing. It is his best work. Spoiler alert for the Back to the Future segment where I do the top ten best Wes Craven films in my opinion. We know it's number one. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. There's no Mm -hmm. fucking contest. That he that was that is his masterpiece. Uh, so well. That one is, you know, all, is all the dialogue good? No. But it's cohesive. It makes sense. It has rules that it sticks to. Unlike Shocker, Shocker had, there's no, th- this movie is batshit insane because <laughs> it goes from uh, Peter Berg's character having these visions and is basically having nightmares akin to Freddy Krueger. Like Freddy Krueger, if he popped out on this movie, I would not be surprised because it would make more sense for that to happen than some of the things that happened in this movie. But you know, if you haven't seen it, massive spoilers coming. Uh, so beware, but if you, if you are interested in it, there's really nothing much to spoil. The cover of the movie gives it away. They execute him and he becomes a lightning creature that can possess people and travel through fucking the internet or well, didn't exist at this time, but TVs and all this stuff. And they don't even define his powers. You're you're learning as you go along that he can do this and this. Oh, wait, he can do this? Oh, shit, he can do this, this, and this. However, he's a being made of electricity now, but he had a limp in real life. He has the limp when he takes people over. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it's lazy writing as a way to identify that somebody is possessed by Pinker in this movie. It's a lazy writing, Wes. Sorry, I love, you know, again, I'm not talking shit about him. I'm just coming, I'm I'm coming to terms with the realization in this episode that Wes Craven is overrated. Is he still a great director? Again, don't misquote me here, people. He is still great. I will always, you know, on Elm Street and screen, people under the stairs. I'll get to the top 10 list at the end of it. He's made, I would say, three exceptionally impactful and important movies in the horror genre. Absolutely. Might be more, that might be more than most people can say. Uh, most horror directors. Absolutely. His his contribution cannot be diminished. But his skill as a mainly a writer, to be honest with you, is the Rob Zombie thing. Don't direct what you write unless you're really good at it, because that takes more talent than Rob Zombie has, and honestly, a bit more talent than Wes Craven has, although he did write Nightmare. Again, don't get me wrong. N- Nightmare, is un- the original, is untouchable. But anyway, so basically... This kid, uh Je- uh, I almost called him Jesse. <laughs> Jonathan Peter <laughs> Berg is having these visions where he sees his family get murdered. Oh, oh, oh hold on. Let me stop. Oh, hold on. Here's the deal. And they don't ever explain if this is true or not. Or like this is the reason why. He's at football practice, staring at Allison, and he catches the ball and he runs into the goalpost. And I'm not, you know, Jackass have, have the peak characters on Jackass have ran into a goalpost harder than in this movie. It's like it's not that big of a hit. It should be like, you know, for how uh, much as apparently messes him up. It should have been a big hit. He bumps the goalpost. I'll say, and he's like, Oh, ghost, what happened, man? And so Allison takes him home. Apparently to his house, which isn't his house. Cause he's in high school and doesn't live with his family. He lives with Allison in a waterbed. I don't, they don't explain it. It's so confusing. Mm-hmm. You're know, trying to make, again, you're trying to make sense of this movie and it's impossible practically half the time. So then he has a vision that his parents, his mom and his sister, and I think his brother are getting murdered by uh, Pinker. So he dreams it and he wakes up and then uh, he runs over to the house and like, oh, they're all d-. his dad, who's also the cop. and has no emotion that his wife and kids, other biological kids, because we learned Peter Berg's adopted. Uh, I'll lead you. I'll, le- I'll give you one guess who his fucking dad is. One guess. You're right. It's the fucking murderer, mm-hmm. which make, again, no sense in this movie. Nothing makes sense how it all wha- comes around. I was gonna say waps around, wet ass pussies around, Uh, (laughs) but uh, that's a Nicki Minaj joke, everybody. Uh, Anyway, so uh, I'm I'm getting. If you haven't, if you can't tell, I am frustrated with how bad this movie actually. Oh, oh, that's right. (laughs) Oh wow! Please, everybody, listen. I'm I'm sorry, everybody. The Stallion. (laughs) I knew it was somebody. It was two people. Yeah. I, I I don't listen to that you know i'm not saying it's bad i just i was like oh there's a song called wet ass pussy i listened to it wet, i think once and that was it I, you know i don't that's not my jam you know so i uh cardi b i apologize i do like cardi b i've seen her in interviews she's hilarious mm-hmm. i do like her although that's the only song i can name by her which is actually no i can name uh, anaconda Nicki minaj so i can name one song by each of them i'm sure Nicki <laughs> song minaj probably has a song called like ass or something maybe i don't know probably uh Anyway, back to this trap. Actually, I'd rather talk about them than talk about this movie. i <laughs> have already talked about Mr. Leggi. But anyway, so where was I? So his family die. He has the vision. He goes to the thing. They're, and they're like, you can't see it, son. They're all dead. And then, uh, of course, a news camera like pops in. And it's like, oh, the cop's son catches him on camera saying that he saw it. And he's like, Dad, I saw who did it. Well, you got to tell me, son. Okay, let me tell you. But you got to take me with you. Okay, let me throw all police. I mean, actually, he says, that's against procedure. And then the next sentence, let's do it. Okay. And then they go to arrest him, and Mitch Pileggi, who has, again, his character has a limp. I mean, I, I mean he drags a foot. I don't think if you call that a limp. He you know, one of his foot, feet, he kind of drags along. So uh, a lame foot? I'm not sure what you call that. Uh, a lazy foot? I don't know. Hmm. He's he's He has what Forrest Whitaker has, but with his legs. Right. Uh, <laughs> not shaming Forrest Whitaker, either. That's just a joke. Because uh, everybody's so sensitive these days. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so... And, and yet yet... He walks with that limp. I'm going to call it a limp because I don't know what else to call it. And he can outrun people in this movie. It's so stupid. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And then there's a point where he possesses a child, and the child is limping. She does a good job acting, by the way. Uh, She's running away limping, and Peter Berg, who's a football star on his football team, can (laughs) barely catch her. And And then he can also barely outrun a possessed cop who's running with a limp. This movie is – it's just – there's no rules to the movie. That's the big problem with it. If they can def- – OK, he can move an electric – wow, look at that stunt. you see that, Jesse? <laughs> uh, the, the little kid I just mentioned actually drives a bulldozer or an excavator. And, then, and there's so much that happens in this movie out of nowhere. Like, OK, this here – again, we're watching it. he can- <laughs> That's not the scene where he can't catch her. There's another scene where he can't catch her uh, <laughs> before, after that. Uh, But sorry, Visual Joke Audio Podcast. I'm sorry to all Mm -hmm. listeners. But if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But I don't know about you. Excavators, like our diesel engine, it freaking sneaks up on him in this movie. It's not a Tesla. I've Mm -hmm. I've almost gotten run over by Teslas picking up my child from daycare because those things are so goddamn quiet, which is really cool. I love it. But it's fucking dangerous if you don't know that Teslas are quiet. Uh, but I mean, there's so, oh, it's just, this movie is badly directed, it's badly written, it's horribly acted, except Richard Brooks, and Mitch Pileggi. Those are the only reasons to watch this movie. It's so batshit insane. It'd be great for Mystery Science Theater. You know, if we ever got big enough and could get the rights to like do a live commentary, we would do this movie because it is so fucking crazy. <laughs> it is so. It's just honestly like. I, I didn't I, I wish I would have had a drink while watching it. It would have made it much more palatable. I watch it completely sober, and I live in Los Angeles in California, so I could there's a many things that I could do to not be sober while watching this movie. And I should have done something because this is just, oh my God, you know, and I try not to be too critical because again, we talk about 80s movies on this podcast. The decade of Schlock. And some of the, you know, some of the great highest highs of filmmaking, some of the lowest lows. Absolutely. I'm not saying it was the best decade ever, even though it kind of was, especially for horror and sci-fi. Uh, I'd say. But this is so, it's so, it's, it's, oh, God. Just watch it, people. Excuse me. It's me indigestion just talking about it. <laughs> watch how far that dude throws that pickaxe. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He should be a quarter. This dude just threw a pickaxe really? at least 200 feet. He should be a football player. He's actually the guitarist for – I have it in my notes. Who was he? Uh, He was – he is Kane Roberts. Cool name. Uh, He was a a former guitarist for Alice Cooper.
0: Oh, okay. Which again, sorry.
1: Visual reference to Jesse only because he's the one watching. (laughs) Yeah. So sorry about that, listeners. Where was I on the plot? So basically – oh, God. So he's taking over people. And, you know, it's, it's bla- it, you know, because of the limp, it is so stupidly obvious. And nobody else sees, hey, nobody says, hey, John, why are you limping all of a sudden? It's never addressed. Only Peter Berg sees people limping who normally don't limp. <laughs> it's, it's a stupid trope because a, you don't need something like that to identify somebody being possessed by somebody like Mitch Pileggi. It should be the actors who are possessed job to watch Pileggi's performance. And then maybe or as actors come together, like, you know like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing where like my left eye twitches sometimes. You know, when I get excited or I, you know, you know, a little, a little quirk that's not detrimental to the believability of what's happening. You know, a little eye twitch or maybe, you know, just a you know, just a a, a look that he does that they that an act another actor can mimic. Like, okay, I'm really gonna furrow my brow and smile mm-hmm. with half of my mouth. Something like that, instead of, oh, uh, it's a fucking limp, and you can outrun people. You can climb up buildings. You're jumping across buildings. It's so fucking stupid that this this high school football star is not as agile as a limping middle aged electrician murderer. It's stupid. Uh, and again, now beyond, I'm I'm coming down hard on this movie, but again, it's it's worth watching. I'm, you know, we'll get to that in the review, in the in the uh, in the the score, I guess. But I'm, I want to make sure people understand. I do there is some enjoyment in this movie because it, it's so off the wall and crazy. And the movie builds and builds. It, it, it's one, it's one. Oh, Oh my God. Thank you for showing this. Cause I totally <laughs> forgot about this. There's a part where Pileggi's character possesses the recliner and it grows eyeballs like cherry from Pee Wee's playhouse. In fact, we're sitting there watching it. Autumn's laying in my lap. because That's how I get her to watch movies by playing with her hair while she's laying in my lap. And she's like, is that cherry? I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And the his bottom half is still a cheese his top he's he's a chair attar. his a recliner atar. His feet are is the bottom of the recliner and his top half is a chair. It is fucking insane. And again, <laughs> up until this point he's possessing people and like that's it. But no, now he's turning into electronic things, like turning into them. It's just it's there's no rules. They're making up the rules as they go along. There's no consistency to what's happening. It's batshit crazy, but let me tell you what it we're watching. I mean, Jess, you're watching the end right now, but it builds to this scene. And this is the best part of the movie. This, this part is awesome. I absolutely love this part. Basically. Uh, Peter Berg and Mitch Pileggi, they're fighting. He's trying to, he's trying to trap them by disabling all the electricity. So that's why Rhino's going to the power plant to turn the power off at midnight so that they can trap Pileggi and he has nowhere to go. And he just dies. Uh, theoretically because again nobody knows what's happening yet Peter Berg knows how to <laughs> kill him apparently it, it, there's no logic to how this works uh, so anyway so but then they're fighting and then last action hero style they both go into the TV and then there's about a five minute sequence that I wish I wish this sequence was twice as long <laughs> but it's doing that thing like Weird Al would do or uh, you've seen it before like maybe on A Living Color somebody else has done it I'm trying to think Uh, But to where they're like Forrest Gump to where they're it's all these they're changing the channels, but they're in all the channels that are changing, changing. So like they're showing like uh, some riots and there it shows the people fighting in the street and the camera pans over and it shows them fighting in the street. And then he's falling out of an airplane. It shows him falling out of an airplane. And then it, it cuts to John Tesh saying like reports of the killer Horace Pinker are being all over the place. And then all of a sudden, of course, they come into the newscast and like start fighting on the news desk. This sequence is fucking awesome. This is the best part of the movie. The effects in this movie are terrible, but this sequence does them. you know, it's cheesy, but there are some parts where they're reacting to the the screen, the, the show that's being plagiarized, but it's perfect. Like Obama go off and they react so well to it. There's a couple of parts where they don't, but this is done so well, this sequence, that it, it, you had the This movie is an hour and like 45 minutes long or an hour and 49. It is too long. It's a, a, a good horror movie that's not Ari Aster or uh, what's his name from The Lighthouse. Uh, I can't think of his fucking name. Robert Eggers. You know, those can be two hours, two and a half hours because they know how to draw it out. They know how to maintain tension that long. A good horror movie, a John Carpenter horror movie style horror movie, an 80s horror movie, 90 fucking minutes, 95, 100 at the most in and fucking out. This movie is too long, but this sequence is god a goddamn masterpiece. It is so fun. It fits the craziness of the movie. And it just goes on and on, not long enough. There's a great part where he like stares at Frankenstein. It's just fucking cool, man. <laughs> this is the this is the the best part of the movie. It's worth watching it up to that part. Only because you need the context of all the stupid fucking shit that's happened to lead up to this moment in the movie and the movie ends and it's fucking stupid. How it ends is stupid. But again, this one sequence is worth the price of admission. And the only reason that I, I, I recommend this movie, this and Mitch Beledge,
0: <laughs> his role.
1: So there you go. That's basically the movie. Uh, and this is only, this is the first time I've seen it in probably 15, 20 years. And the first time I've seen the actual version, not like the TBS version. Cause I remember it coming out in the VHS cover, like oh shocker, you know it. Okay, didn't really care. I mean, I remember the cover, and then when it came on TV, caught it then as a kid. I, I, my my memory of it when I was younger was that it was way better than this. No, I don't know. I guess the t- maybe because the TV cut, you know, was cut out, you know, fifteen twenty minutes of it. Maybe that's why it was better. Could be. But I had I, watching this. I was like, I was I was happy this was the last one because I I had a fond memory of this movie being so much better and enjoyable than it was. It's not, except for that end sequence where they're basically jumping around through the, uh, like, stay tuned with John Ritter from the 90s, you know, jumping around through television channels and everything. It, that, that one sequence is fucking great. I uh, can't stress that enough. Everything else, except for Mitch Pileggi and Richard Brooks, garbage, hot garbage, mm. as far as I'm concerned. I give it a five. Uh, it would be less than that. It'd be a four, maybe even a three, if not for how great Mitch Pileggi is in this role. I, if you're going to, he knew what, he knew what movie he was in. And that's, that's, that's why that's the reason he is the only person in this movie who knew how ludicrous this script is. And he knew what he was doing. Nobody else can keep up in this film with him because he, he, he understood the assignment. Peter Berg is acting like he's in the fucking exorcist and everything is so goddamn real and true. And mm-hmm. even though it's awful awful crazy, he, you know, a good actor can make you believe that. He's not a good actor and therefore can't make you believe it. But again, Mitch Pileggi, worth the price of admission. So I give it a five. Uh, without Mitch Pileggi, be a four. Without that scene at the end, it'd be a three. It's, it's, this did not hold up at all uh, to my memory of it. Again, isn't it, did I enjoy it? By the time it was over, Yes, but the journey was—it was like it was, it was, it was, it was this—is the exact opposite of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The leading up to the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or the Phantom Menace, so fuck the excitement could not be contained. So pumped, so fucking excited that we're getting these movies. Then they come out. Phantom Menace—you uh, know, at the time, it, you know—that took a lot, a lot longer reflection to hate it or not hate it, but to see how bad it was. Whereas Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I've I've literally never rewatched that movie. I saw it once in the theater at midnight in the theater in Florida, whose air conditioner went out. So already I was everybody, you know, it was, it was destined for failure. We were like, it didn't. We were, me and my friend Perry were like, it didn't matter. We're here. It's a new Indiana Jones man. We get to see it together in the theater. Big, you know, we'll deal with it. Oh, how our naive, sweet little souls never watched that movie again. Absolute trash. But the journey and the the leading up to the release was amazing. So much hype and hope and talking about it, how excited we were for it. This film, the journey getting to the end was, was that. This is what the fuck? Just head scratching what is happening. No fucking clue. Doesn't even make sense in the end. I mean, you have to write a paper on it with like Venn diagrams and charts to explain like the plot. I mean, you get the plot i am being—I'm exaggerating, obviously, but it's just things are being added and done off the wall, left-handed, like it was just like, oh, this will be cool. Let's have a sequence on top of the roof. How do we get there? I don't fucking know. Let's just do it. <laughs> That's—it's chaos. Uh, it just feels like it was chaos behind the scenes, although I could find any information that it actually was. Um, but yeah, it's—you know—I give it a—I give it a five because of the reasons mentioned before. And uh, before I get into the trivia, I did it again. I think I've done it every episode since we've been back, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> to ask you if you've ever seen Shocker.
0: Well, excuse me, Wes Craven's yeah. Shocker. Well, here's a shocker I haven't. <laughs> no, you don't say. Nope. I do remember the poster, though. It's a good poster.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a it's a it's a fantastic cover. Like, oh, whoa, oh, wow, electric. Oh, prisoner get, It tells you everything you know with that one image. Yep. A prisoner is getting electrocuted. And obviously something comes of that. Mm -hmm. Although that does, (laughs) that's almost not even the point of the movie. I'm more interested to know why Peter Berg has these psychic visions after running into a goalpost lightly at that with his helmet on. (sighs) Let me take a breath. (sighs) If I was the character for the money pit, you'd hear a beeping because my pulse is going like 90, 90 to nothing from (laughs) high blood pressure, like about this one. Anyway, a, a few little pieces of trivia. Uh, according to Wes Craven, the film was severely cut for an R rating, and it took about 13 different tries for the MPA to give it an R instead of an X. Which, honestly, I would watch this movie again if I could see the X-rated version just to see the gore and everything. Because when it did have gore, there's a scene where like Peleggi bites his prison guard's lip by faking that he's needing CPR, and it's like when the fir- when they first show him biting it and like the stretch of it, I was like, oh. Very effective gag, uh, so I would like to see the uh, the uh, if they if they had like an unra- shocker unrated, I watch it again for that just to see. I would watch it tomorrow or in, within you know a while so I can kind of get the the taste of this movie out of my mouth so to speak. But uh, it would be I would be interested to see the unrated version if that ever comes out. I'm not sure if there are any Blu-ray releases uh, or not. Uh, this was actually envisioned as a series in the vein of Elm Street, but after it didn't you know it only it still did good at the box office. It tripled its budget roughly, uh, but they didn't want to make any sequels, which honestly I can see why. Although I would, if, if, if they said they're making another shocker movie with Peleggi as Horace Pinker, I would go see it day one. Absolutely. Because of him, not because of any other reason. Only it would only take him to be in a shocker two or shockers. And there's two people mm. uh, to uh, make me want to go see it. That's how good he, that's how much I enjoyed him on screen with this. But, uh, yes, this did do good. There is not a shocker to yet. Elon, Elon Musk, I know you're a trillionaire now, bro, practically. You're worth a trillion bucks. I know you listen to the podcast. Just give us some money to make some crazy fucking movies. Is that too much? <laughs> I mean, come on. You got, you're got you doing all the space thing. I don't think Mars will miss, you know, 10 million bucks to make five, two million dollar amazing movies for 80s fans. Come on. Come on, Elon.
0: Elon. Help us up.
1: <laughs> Uh So, yeah, I mentioned the the male road worker was the uh, former guitarist for Alice Cooper. Uh, Alive Films took the rights to the film when originally – now, again, alternate realities. I would want to see this version. John Carpenter bowed out of his four-film deal with a production company after he did They Live, and he offered the remaining slots in his contract, which were two, to Wes Craven. And from those two slots that John Carpenter didn't do, we got this movie, which, meh. But we got the people under the stairs, which that's one of Craven's best. Spoiler alert for the top ten I'm about to do. Uh, so cool little uh, what if there with John Carpenter. Had he, you know, A, what would his two films have been? Would they have been this or or something else? Would have been interesting. Nevertheless, we don't get to see it. Uh, I did mention that both of Wes Craven's kids were in it. Uh, his, uh, his son or two of his kids, again, I don't know how many kids he has. He might have three. So if there's three or four, sorry, only two of y'all were in this movie. Uh, but his son is the jogger that gets taken over after the little girl. Uh, oh, he's the one. The, the jogger is the one that gets killed by the cop or taken over by the cop who then the jogger, who's Wes Craven's son, then takes over the little girl I mentioned earlier. And I need to uh, – this has to be on MT, uh I mean you, uh, YouTube. I'm going to have to look it up. But Mitch Pileggi appeared at, in character on Headbanger's Ball. That's bound to be on YouTube. i got to watch that. Uh, that's alone worth the price of admission. Or the time searching it to find it, because I used to watch the fuck out of Headbangers Ball, because that's where we got all of the Metallica, Megadeth, all the me- or all the metal videos that you know you would see Beavis and ButtHead make fun of sometimes. But you get to see it without Beavis and ButtHead commentary. Now, one of the biggest things about this movie is the soundtrack. This soundtrack is late '80s, amazing. Mm, excuse me, and I say that because mainly it's got. I think it's got a couple of Alice Cooper tracks. It has a cover of Alice Cooper. I think it has a cover of Poison on it. Uh, I don't have the track list. Uh, but the, the, the soundtrack is great. But it is headlined by the theme song of this movie called Shocker by a band, one of the greatest names in 80s band history, the Dudes of Wrath. <laughs> now, if I just heard that band name, I'd be like, what the fuck is this? However, the Dudes of Wrath are not just any wrathful dudes. They are, in fact, a super group. They are, they are the megazord of super Because if you heard the, if you listen to the opening song, you probably could tell who the vo- one of the vocalists is. It's Paul Stanley from Kiss. Also, Desmond Child does vocals. You're like, oh, that name sounds familiar. Well, he is a huge, huge songwriter. And it is on YouTube. Jesse's found it. I'm going to go watch that right after we're of the podcast. <laughs> and he's in makeup and everything. It's great. Can't wait to watch that.
0: Yeah, uh, but Desmond 16 Child. 16 minutes in. Sixteen gotcha. minutes into awesome. the Halloween special, Headbangers Ball. Hell yeah! Uh, but Desmond
1: Child, he he wrote "Living on a Prayer," "Poison" by Alice Cooper, "Dude Looks Like a Lady," and "Angel" by Aerosmith, and strangely enough, "Living la Vida Loca." So he is a very diverse songwriter, and also that just goes to show you everybody: the money in music is in the songwriting. You just write the song, you sell it off, and you get the royalties, and you ain't got to go out there and tour and do all the other shit. Oh, that's the fun part, to be honest. <laughs> For me, that would be the fun part. But you know, uh, uh, in fact, Autumn was watching a documentary on Netflix about all the uh, songwriters that are making. They all come out of, I think, Sweden, maybe. I think, or I wish I could remember the name of the documentary. It's on Netflix. She was watching it. I kind of caught the tail end of it, but it was just like how much money these people are making writing songs like Timberlake and all the pop bands just writing pop songs. And they're like, they are. And these dudes, the thing is these dudes look like metal dudes, just like Desmond child. Yep. It's like, they're taking like the, you know, rock, hard rock metal, like the, the harder edge of end of music songwriting, but this is my paraphrasing language. So don't take any offense if if, if it's music you like, but dumbing it down to a pop level or that's percolating it, not percolating goes up. Uh, not down. I'm trying to think of a polite word to say to, to sound more educated and more professional, which I try to be both. Uh, and according to the diploma on my wall from LSU, I should definitely at least be somewhat educated. Uh, let's see. Um, migrating, uh, mutating. I'll use, let's use mutating it to a, a different genre of music to make these massive, massive hits. Uh, I'm sure if you just Google Netflix uh, songwriter or something, you it'll probably come up. But it was pretty interesting these dudes seem cool. And there were some girls too. Don't get me wrong. It's not just dudes. Uh, it's all sorts of people doing this, but uh, just writing the songs for Backstreet Boys and all sorts of stuff. It was really interesting. could you expect like, Oh, it's probably some big fat white dude. Like, Hey, hey this will make the money. I want it that way. <laughs> 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 laughing all the way to the fucking bank. Nah, it's these, you know, metal looking dudes that are writing these songs. I thought it was great. Uh, very interesting. I should say. So anyway, back to the dudes of wrath, uh, Again, Desmond Child and Paul Stanley share vocal duties. Uh, on guitar, you got Vivian Campbell. Uh, he was also in D.O. and Def Leppard. And one of the greatest names of all time, Guy Mandude. He's a drummer turned guitarist. Uh, he's kind of like, a, I, th- I think he's more like a, a Joe Satriani type, kind of like he was kind of just himself. You know, wasn't like necessarily in a band, but he did a lot of, he did a lot of studio sessions with other people. Uh, he's, the, uh, he's one of the guitarists. Rudy Sarzo from Whitesnake on bass. And. Probably the greatest drummer of the eighties, if not one of the best of all time, Mr. 18 inch penis himself, Tommy Lee on the drums. <laughs> you know what? You know what, you know what? You no, know it just struck me like a drum. Uh why doesn't Tommy Lee like use his dick as like a third, you know, drum hand, you know, for his bass drum or something. Just leave it on there and just, you know, triple beat, triple bass. Got the feet going and just brrr bop. I don't Maybe know. Maybe he I does. Get- <laughs> that joke bombed. Let's, let's move on. Let's forget I said that. Well, maybe so there you it's, go. It's just a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's kind of the gist of Shocker. And this is the end of Halloween Horror Month. But what would Halloween Horror Month be without some sort of top 10 list in an episode? And what better one than at the end of the Wes Craven one to talk about the top 10, my personal ranking of all of Wes Craven's horror movies or all of his movies? in the official Asia-visited top 10 Wes Craven film list. Uh, we'll just go through it real quick. There's no real need to talk too much about them, mm-hmm. as we've talked about some of these. And you'll notice, strangely enough, none of the movies we've talked about this month are on this list. So first off, I want to apologize for already doing all these good movies in the 80s on the podcast. And basically this Halloween Horror Month being more so a the Halloween horror of realizing Wes Craven is not as good of a director as I thought he was month. Uh, so anyway, my 10th favorite Wes Craven film, I'm going to go with red eye, uh, which honestly, honestly, you should probably, I, the want I think about the first, the first three quarters of this movie are so tense on the plane. Killian Murphy is amazing in it as is Rebecca. I mean, uh, oh, what's her name? God damn it. Uh, the notebook chick, Rachel McAdams. Ugh. Thank you. Rachel McAdams. I knew it was a triple name. It's so good. Then when they get off the plane, it kind of, it becomes like an open world game almost. And it kind of loses that tension of being stuck on the plane, but nevertheless, the tension in it is really good. That's my 10th favorite. Number nine, the original Hills Have Eyes, uh, great serpent in the rainbow, which we've covered on the podcast, uh, which is, it's that honestly, his film that's closest to shocker is probably serpent in the rainbow in terms of it's just like, (laughs) just kind of aloof craziness, so to speak, if that makes any sense and where it goes. Uh, number seven, his step into the superhero genre with Swamp Thing, which we've also covered on the podcast. Uh, number six, his gritty grindhouse classic, Last House on the Left, uh, which again I think is one of if you have, his three movies that I mentioned earlier that I would say are very important to the horror genre. One of them is Last House on the Left. I'll tell the others when I get to them. But you already know which those ones those ones should be. Uh, number five, New Nightmare, the last one that he was involved in, uh, which where it brought Freddy to the real world, which was a great way to take the series. And Freddie was scary again uh, in parts in that one. Uh, he didn't wasn't doing too many uh, one-liners and all that. They made him scary uh, again after you know MTV Freddie. Uh, number four, one of my personal favorite. I mean, like, you know, it's it's not his best made one, but it's probably the one that I've watched the most aside from uh, number two on this list, and that's People Under the Stairs. I fucking love that movie. It's it's a perfect blend of dark comedy, social satire, and horror. And it's so well acted. Ving Rhames, uh, I forget the kid that plays Point Dexter, but he was a great kid actor. And you got, uh, oh, God damn it, the couple from Twin Peaks. Uh, I, can't, I can see him, Oh, my God. The guy from Silver Bullet, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I see you trying to show me on the screen, Jesse,
0: but it's too small for me to catch the name. <laughs> oh, well, we got Brandon Adams, Everett McGill. Everett McGill, God. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and Wendy. Uh, uh, yeah, Everett Wendy McGill's Bobby. the guy from Twin Peaks. And then uh, his wife uh, in the, in, from Twin Peaks is in people, his wife and people on the stairs because Craven watched Twin Peaks and thought they were a great couple, even though they had mm. extreme marital problems in uh, Twin Peaks. And they were actually, turns out to be brother and sister and people under the stairs. Also, people on their stairs, the stairs, the VHS cover, the movie poster, scared me as a kid. Just that skull floating. It was just so creepy looking. Just very, you know. Very 80s, very spooky as a kid to me. Um, let's see, that was number four. So, top three the best three best Wes Craven films. Number three might be some controversy here, but Scream it's not his best, it's not his best movie, in my opinion, not at all. Uh, it's it's oh, let I me mean, phrase this it in terms of writing, it is the best written movie that he directed, absolutely 100%. Um, but I, th- I think I have a good argument why the next two, I say, are better than Scream. Number two, Nightmare on Elm Street, part three. Uh, this is the one where it just get, it goes from – this was where he it goes so, – uh, You know what? I'm sorry. I totally fucked up. He wrote – hold on. Did he direct Nightmare 3 or was that Chuck? I think I might have fucked up here.
0: Yeah. I got he didn't direct Nightmare, Nightmare 3.
1: Nightmare on – He did, and I can see it on that list right there. Yeah. I fucked up. He wrote it. He came back to write it. He didn't. So I fucked up. Uh, so actually, anyway. let me. Uh, yeah. Nightmare three is obviously not on here. So that means Scream is number two. So it's <laughs> the top nine West Craven films because I, I can't uh, shocker. Yeah, Shocker's number 10 because of that fucking ending. It's so good. I'll put it on my top <laughs> 10 list. Yeah, Chuck Russell actually directed it, but West Craven wrote it. So I had a complete brain fart when I made this list. Five minutes before he we went on the air. So my mistake. So if you were screaming at the podcast, like, what the fuck? Trey, didn't direct that. Oh, come on. And you were immediately popping. Oh, there we go. I got one one good hand to pop. Hope you got that on the microphone. My knuckles. Yeah, to have, become that keyboard warrior uh, to come like, he didn't direct Nightmare. Yes, I know. Brain fart. I Hey, I'm old enough. I lived through the 80s, so I'm old enough to have, you know, you got to give me some passes here. it happens when you're 41 years old people and it's only going to get worse but anyway so obviously number one of course the classic music of the heart his dramatic turn as a dramatic director of a strong woman-led film about a music department fuck no it's nightmare on elm street the og nightmare uh still honestly in in the I mean, there are a million fucking horror movies out there, and I would say, off the top of my head, Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the absolute most original horror films that has ever been made. Uh, he, this is light lightning struck with Nightmare on Elm Street for him first, because that because thanks to Nightmare on Elm Street, we have New Line Cinema, which thanks to New Line Cinema, we have Lord of the Rings. Uh, so, you know, every time you watch Lord of the Rings, you ought to do a Hail uh, Satan to Freddy Krueger <laughs> for making that happen, because New Line is the house that Freddy built, uh, all because of Nightmare on Elm Street. And again, you know, you can, you, can, you know, 90s kids, oh, man, scream so much better. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but directing-wise, uh, uh, visually-wise, visual, visuals, directing, cinematography, all that kind of stuff on Nightmare is leagues above Scream one uh, in my opinion. But again, Scream, better writing, not written by Craven though. That's the tra- That's the th- reason. Kevin Williamson wrote Scream, not Wes Craven. He direct with Craven directed it and he did a great job directing Scream. Absolutely. But his best film, I'm sorry. Honestly, I'm not going to, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to stand up for it. I'm not going to debate it. I mean, I'm not going to say I can see why. I mean, I can see why, but I don't think you're right for reasons I've listed before. Nightmare on Elm Street is his best film by far, visually ahead of its time, conceptually still ahead of its time. Uh, still, it's a, it's a fucking masterpiece and absolutely one of the greatest horror films ever made. And that alone, even if he only did Nightmare on Elm Street 1, that is worthy enough for him to be considered one of the best horror directors, in my opinion. But again, the original thesis of this episode He's honestly, his body of work, you know, if you don't believe me, like, oh, fuck you, man. What's Craven's awesome? Go watch all these movies we've talked about. Watch them from a critical standpoint. And I think my point can prove itself. But that, again, is not diminishing the fact that he did Nightmare on Elm Street, that he directed Scream, and in my opinion, People Under the Stairs. <laughs> you know, he's done some amazing, amazing films. Absolutely. But I can count them on three to four fingers. And he has 15, 14 movies. So that's not a good batting average uh, when you break it down to metrics and stuff like that. So there we go. The top 80s revisited official top 10, or excuse me, top nine. Well, <laughs> oh, no, I had a chocker. Top 10 Wes Craven films uh, here on the podcast. Uh, and again, this released October 27th, 1989. Nothing of of real big significance happened within a week of that date. So I have to go to the literal bottom, what I consider the bottom of the goddamn barrel. Uh, that is the same day that PewDiePie, Swedish and former most subscribed <laughs> YouTuber, was born. So fuck that racist. And there you go. We'll move on from there. <laughs> Back to the future this week. I saw a new movie I'd like to talk about. And I know you did too, Jesse. But I didn't see the movie you saw. <laughs> so we have to talk about that next time. hmm It starts with a D and rhymes with Dune. <laughs> Uh, But I saw a film by a director whom, I like his first film, but then he would go on to create The Conjuring Universe, which I think is the most overrated horror series this side of Paranormal Activity. And by overrated, I mean they're competently done. They're well shot, they look good, they're well acted, well directed. But ghost movies, I'm sorry, they're, they're not fucking scary, but... People, apparently that's the scariest fucking genre in cinema right now because uh, Conjuring 3, whatever it is, number they're on comes out or Annabelle or whatever comes out. And it's like, oh my God, it's so fucking scary. I watch these middle of the fucking night and there's nothing, it's just jump scares. And every single jump scare is predictable because I'll tell you why. Tension, 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 music building. Oh, fake. And then you're like, oh, they're going to get you here. And then by the time you think that, then the scare comes. They're second guessing the people who are guessing when the scares are coming. But once that happens once, you sh- if you have any education in horror, you know that that's th- you've cracked the formula. So, I'm not, again, I'm not hating on them, and it sounds like I am. If you like them, again, I will never argue about you liking them, anybody, liking any movie. If you like Garbage Pail Kids, the movie, that's fucking awesome. I think it's, one of the, it's the worst film we've ever done on this podcast. I would watch Xanadu twice before watching Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. Ever again, but anyway, the film I was watching that I'm getting back to uh, was malignant, and uh, and some of the horror groups I'm in on Facebook, this film was like heavily just debate. Like this, you know, it was either you loved it or you hated it. Uh, I thought it was good. The ending went it, the ending went too far, but the lead up. It's kind of like it's the opposite of Shocker. The lead up to the end was great and fantastic although you could totally tell what it was, what the, the twist. And yes, there's a twist. Sorry. Uh, like there's one shot in the movie. It was like, it, it was like, li- like lightning strikes at, flashes outside. And it was also lightning hitting my brain. Lightning struck my brain. Uh, and it was like, bam, I knew exactly what was going on about the second kill of the movie. But anyway, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that if you're paying attention, you could see what's coming. However, the direction of this film was there was exceptionally well done the music now the soundtrack not this film here's here, let me here's a spoil. it's it's so crazy because once i realized the the twist basically there they give it away so much in this film with dialogue choices and song choices and there, uh there's a band i know the band that does it but they cover the pixies where's my mind if you don't know that song yes you do if you've seen fight club it's a song that plays at the end Actually, that's like that was. I think forget I even tried to imitate it right there. But it's the with your feet in the air and your head on the ground. Try this trick instead. Yeah, that song. Yes. Uh, <laughs> sorry if I blew you. I, <laughs> I heard Jesse laugh at my horrible singing. So
0: that was pretty good. Awesome.
1: that song. Oh, thank you. Uh, Pixie go. cover oh. band not happening ever. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but anyways, but. There's a band that covers that. They do a, the cover. It's not bad, but it's not, you know, it's, I like it in a weird way. Like it doesn't fit, but it works. So, uh, but that is a musical cue. It's actually part of the soundtrack. That op- the opening of that song has a really great guitar line that I love. I, it's one of the few riffs I know on guitar and I don't play guitar, but it's. I can't even imitate it. Uh, go YouTube it. You, actually, you should have it on your playlist because it's the best. It's one of the best Pixie song songs out there. But anyway, the song is called "Where Is My Mind." So once you realize the twist, you're like, Durr! "Why did, you know?" They're they're slapping you over the head the entire movie with what the twist is. So if it catches you, I'm not saying you're dumb, but you probably should pay more attention to the movies you watch. Again, I, that that kind of sounds very uh, hipsterish, and <laughs> yeah. uh, I did. That's not how I meant mean for that to sound. I'm just saying that upon realizing the twist, you see how much they're trying to show it to you that you might not have caught before. Uh, now, the end goes straight up fucking Terminator, which that was a little bit too big of a change for me. However, I do recommend it. It felt very, it was, the way it's lit, the cinematography's well done. It's very Italian horror, like almost like a Dario Argento film, like Suspiria, like a Giallo, how it's done. It's very, very, it's very well done. Except once you figure it out, that part is so heavy-handed. It's just like, God, like a, a little more subtle. Just a little more subtlety would have made it so much more impactful and better. Also, the main detective is a total like he. The, the main detective in this film is to Tom Cruise what Ethan Hawke is. He is to Keanu Reeves. If that makes any sense, he's like a we can't get Keanu, but this dude will work for like like a third a quarter of the price. Get him. Not a bad actor, but I swear the whole time I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, my brother Keanu is like really cool. You want to like talk about him? Just totally reminds me of Keanu Reeves the whole time. But that's not the movie's fault. Uh, nevertheless, I recommend it. It's 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 a fun movie. It was entertaining. Uh, so check out Malignant if you want. And uh, game-wise, I'm trying to finish Metroid Dread, but it is so much goddamn backtracking mm. and head-scratching. Okay, where the fuck do I go that it's getting annoying? Still a fun game if you like Metroid. I love Metroid, but it needs a little more direction to kind of. Uh, because I had to consult a guy, like, okay, I did this. I'm looking at the map and I cannot tell where to go. Like I've gone over the map twice. Oh, there's this one block you have to blow up. Well, god damn it, give me some more visual reference of that. So anyway, that's the Back to the Future segment for me. Watch Malignet. Check out Metroid Dread if you got a Switch. Jesse, I know you saw Dune. We'll talk about that next time. I promise. For sure. (laughs) Because the one time you've actually seen something that I've seen, so we can actually (laughs) talk about it. uh, Because I haven't seen it because I want to see it in the theater. That's Uh, the issue. Otherwise, I would have watched it day one on HBO. Uh, But anything else? Anything else that you happen to catch, Jesse, or a play or any new board games you've happened to? No, no. I was uh, out of town for
0: a week. So, yeah. Didn't see anything there. I was out on a tree farm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Very cool. Off-camera talk we had about it. but uh, So next week, here's your teaser for next week. We'll be talking about Dune on the Back to the Future segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here are our thoughts on that. Uh, let's see, no emails, but don't forget to email us, 80sRevisited at gmail.com. On Facebook, 80 podcast On Instagram, 80S underscore Revisited. Uh, check out our friends, Cajun Toy Review, John Lafayette, and of course the Bamcast, and TCW Tasmanian Championship Wrestling with the Doom Slayer, Ben Wyatt. And, of course, also, before I forget, iHeart Board Games. Jesse, I'll let you do talk all about your baby.
0: Yep. I'm streaming three times a week on twitch.tv slash heartboardgames. Leave the I out because there's no I in board games. And, yeah, 7 p.m. Central <laughs> well, time.
1: Well, actually, Jesse, I can play horrified solo. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, you're technically wrong. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to be comic book nerd from The Simpsons, and I just can't, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't bring myself to be that type of person, even in jest. So, but uh, any new, any uh, recent board games that are uh, um, of note that uh, you're looking forward to or coming out, or
0: not really. I've been playing a lot of digital ones, uh, especially since Halloween's coming up. There's a mm-hmm. was it a uh, Fury of Dracula where you're hunting down Dracula. That's a fun mm-hmm. one. I think it's on sale right now on Steam. So oh nice, I got on, I got that one on my iPad. Yeah, there you go. Not Steam. Unfortunately, to where I could play it with you, I have to check if it's crossplay. But yeah, Oh yeah, it's a good bl- good game. Recommend. You can yeah, I'm looking forward
1: to the uh, the uh, horrified. I guess not a sequel, but because of course the original horrified is Universal Monsters, which is totally my jam. Yeah, and then there's a new version coming out with like cryptozoology creatures like Bigfoot and. It's like the American Lognis ones. Monster. It has
0: like the Jersey Devil in it. Yeah, and big, yeah, oh, so no, no, no Loch monster then, but it might have Ogo Pogo. It's which all I'll local call this Yoga
1: Pogo isn't no is in Africa what's the champ that's it Lake Champlain champ that's the one I was thinking of I don't know if he's in it or not but looking forward to that uh, Horrified's really fun although I've only
0: played it by myself so I don't <laughs> I don't know how it's fun it is I with mean, other it people. works by yourself because it's a co-op game but uh, yeah yeah let's see Bigfoot Jersey Devil Ozark Howler uh Chupacabra. The Banshee of the Badlands and the Mothman.
1: Okay, they they totally could have left out that third one and done Champ
0: Ozark Howler. But I guess
1: they don't. he's an aquatic creature that can't walk on land, so I guess they you know for gameplay purposes they need. Because in Horrified you got the Gill Man, but he can walk on land. He does. He's not confined to the water. So never heard of the Ozark Howler though.
0: Probably just yeah. some crazy dude in the woods screaming. It looks like a dog with horns on it. <laughs> Cool. Or a bear with horns on it. I don't know.
1: Me either. Strange. That will be another story. But uh, so, unfortunately, we are at the end of Halloween horror, and you know what? What is the what? What? What is the biggest? What ha- the day after Halloween? If you got a kid, what is the biggest surplus that you have in your house?
0: Yeah, it starts with a C.
1: Exactly. And I am so sorry, but I forgot who mentioned this, but. Taking there, I will give you full credit next episode when I write the show notes. Uh, but I was uh, one of the one of the uh, we got a letter about you know hey do John more John Candy movies and I was like you know you're absolutely right. there have been planning to do Planes Trains and Automobiles for Thanksgiving mm-hmm. for like a couple of years now and never got to it. But guess what? We have a surplus of candy, <laughs> and the next month after October is November,
0: yeah, and go.
1: Thanksgiving is in November. So next month is Candy Month. Ah uh, four film of uh, John the late and absolutely great always like us like somebody posted like a few weeks ago, like it was his birthday or something or anniversary of his death, something like that, and it was like, you know John candy would be this old today, here's like an age thing of how he would look, and it just broke my fucking heart he was born on as Halloween. A kid, oh wow, yep, what a cool birthday <laughs> uh. Cause you get candy and presents, not just candy, yeah. and you can have a costume party for your birthday. That is fucking cool. <laughs> uh, uh, you know that's awesome. Uh, our, our good friend Crystal, her birthday's on Halloween as well. Uh, but anyway, you know, growing up, John Candy—I mean, Uncle Buck, uh, Spaceballs, Home Alone, uh, Armed and Dangerous—you know, all, he was he was such a lovable character in like pract- even in Plane Trains Automobile. Still, be so he's so. Just you know, he's he's has bad habits, but he's so annoying. You just he all he always brings the heart to the comedy, and I think that was the biggest thing because I'll never forget. I was waiting. I think I told the story before. Actually, what I'll save it for Candy Month because that's when we'll talk about John Candy and reflect on him. So yeah, there you go. Starting next month, four films of John Candy that we haven't already done on the podcast. One of which, obviously, for Thanksgiving, will finally be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Arguably, uh, probably his best, one of his best. Uh, if not the best, off the top of my head. But we'll find that out. Maybe we'll watch these other four and be like, well, you know what? Fucking Armed and Dangerous is way better than mm-hmm. I remember. There's a spoiler for one of the episodes. Uh, but John Candy, gone, gone, never forgotten. We will celebrate him all next month, right here on 80s Revisited. So until then, everybody, stay safe. Have a great Halloween. Get the shot, wear a mask. I remain <laughs> Trey
0: Harris. Yes, essentially. Cowabunga. <laughs>